This is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. A weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together. Make us happy. Make us whole. Make us human. Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. Did you miss me? We did did miss you, Claire. I feel like it's been forever, even though it's only been a couple weeks. It's only been one week, actually. Yeah, one week. I've been... I've been skiing. I don't know what to tell you. You had a great time, and I'm very, <laughs> very happy for you. So I'm back. And, and we have another guest. We have another guest, which we're so excited about. Yes. Welcome to the show, Sarah Gross, the founder and CEO of Feisty Media. You are also an Ironman champion, and you have a PhD in women's studies. We just, women's history. So we have a lot to talk about, because not only did you start this business, you have a lot of experience around women in sport and what is lacking for females in sport. But what first came to mind when we were kind of looking at having you on the show was like, I heard your story about how you started Feisty Media, and we'll get to that in a second. But I was like, wow, a lot of the reason why you started Feisty Media is the reason why Claire and I started our original podcast, which is Girls Gone Wad, and now we just kind of like morphed into This Is Joy and Claire, was because we saw a gap in what was out there. I think it's not going to surprise anybody that there's a huge gap in a lot of resources or a lot of everything for women, uh, especially in sports. I want to talk a little bit about like what questions you were asking as someone who was an elite athlete. What were you seeing that was lacking, which then led you to Feisty Media? Yeah, great question. First of all, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I've had fun already and we've been here for four minutes. So hopefully that we, we did have a lot of fun. We, we just need to start releasing our pre-recording. Yeah, it's like way more funny. <laughs> I am. So no, I forget your question. No, I don't forget your question. I listened to the episode with uh, Kaisa Fit this morning on my, on my commute. And I thought the same thing you were just saying, I think there's a ton of synergy here with um, what you all were talking about and the things that we do at Feisty. Um, So for me, really the the media part and why I launched the company to answer your question um, has to do with when we first um, noticed that the, at the Ironman World Championships, there were 35 slots for the pro women and 50 slots for the pro men. And we have equal prize money in triathlon. Generally, there's a couple exceptions, but generally we tend to. So that to us was kind of like, as an elite athlete, like what's going on? Why don't we have equal access to our world championships? Um, so we went through like the usual channels. Like we asked Ironman, can we have equal slots? Um, in the process, I've become friends with the CEO, but they said no. And so we... Was there any reason you, why? Like, I I don't like no's without a why. Yeah. Like th- their why was business related. So it's a sport, much like CrossFit, like it's a sport that's owned by a corporation, right? And it's run like a business, which is different than a sport that's run with um, like a federation where the federation's part of the mandate is to try to get more people involved in the sport and, and that kind of thing. Um, So for Ironman, their no was that they were, I think, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but I think they were scared that if they said yes to the pro women having equal slots, that the amateur women would also want want equal slots, which they probably should have. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. Crazy, I know. Part of me is like, oh my gosh, how dare they? (laughs) Right. But they're worried about pissing off their core customers who they perceive to be the like sort of 30 to 55 year old men. Um, Can I, is it rich white men though? Is it a lot of, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just, it's yeah. I mean, spot on. Yeah. (laughs) 
We know so, him. We love him here. You know, we, as you guys know, you know, Joy and I, between living in Denver and Boulder, we're surrounded by him. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we know that that triathlon type for sure. The, 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 that like Iron Man male persona stereotype, not to say by any means that everyone who right. races Iron Man are like that. But I think like right. you have that stereotype in your mind of who mm-hmm. this kind of quote unquote core consumer is for that yes. Iron Man. And the stereotype is there because the numbers back it up. And that's what the CEO was concerned about in terms of pissing off those people who who actually want, he felt were his main customers, right? Even though, anyway, I have several solutions for him. Um, but, but when they said no, we went to the media and we created, there were 12 of us and we sort of created a big splash on Twitter. This is 2015. Yeah, this is 2015. And then um, we ended up with like 2 million impressions in one day. And many of us got like a higher level of media than we were used to. So I was used to being interviewed, say, by Triathlete Magazine or our triathlon um, media. But this went to like, we were in Sports Illustrated. I was interviewed by Forbes. And I saw the impact that media could have. Um, And I also saw that we were never going to have an empowering culture for women in sport if we didn't, like, or we're never going to be able to empower women without an empowering culture to actually support that empowerment. Like it's both sides. So I was like, what better way to create an empowering culture than media, which of course really is kind of a stupid endeavor, if you will. Like when I Googled, how do you start a media company? It was like, make sure you have really deep pockets, which I don't at all. Uh, So it was sort of this thing, like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to try. So we started with one podcast uh, in 20. 17. And we've gone from there. Which podcast was that? The Iron Women podcast, which is still going. When I first heard from you, like when you first reached out, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if this has to do with the Feisty Menopause podcast. Yeah, there, I mean, the Feisty Menopause podcast is also one of our podcasts. So we have have eight altogether. We have six that are currently running. And the Menopause podcast is actually our biggest podcast, our most active community. With menopause, there was no information for active women. Just, it was a when we realized what kind of like a wasteland it was, we're like, oh my gosh, we have to help. So that's been, that's grown super fast over the last year. Yeah. Cause I've heard of that podcast. I've listened to the podcast, a decent amount of episodes and it's great. Even if you're not like in menopause, it's just the whole piece around female health. And especially if Mm -hmm. you're an active woman. So I was really excited that I was like, oh, that's a little crossover there that I know of that world. So you're building this brand and what do you hope to accomplish through the media? company. Yeah. So like I said, our goal is to kind of have an effect on the culture. So instead of, do you know what I mean by that? Like, just like the culture needs to support us if we're going to continue to be empowered. So it's like being part of that conversation. And there is a bigger conversation, obviously, around women's empowerment broadly and around women in sport that happens. So I wanted to create something that could could have an impact in that space and keep that, keep momentum for those conversations. So within all of this, I mean, when I was, you know, doing a little bit of just Googling and looking around and seeing everything that you've been doing, the question that popped into my mind is something that I think that I definitely struggle with. I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast struggle with, struggle with, I mean, training for an Ironman is like a full-time job basically. Right. And then on top of that, you have all these other things going on. You have, you know, your family life, like I would love to talk a little bit about creating those priorities in a world where like your daily life still very much has to exist and very much still has to 
stuff still has to get done. Like, I think I, we often hear this, like, you don't have time, you make time, but that's like such a romantic notion, right? That like, actually, Mm -hmm. I also only have so much time. Talk us through a little bit about how, you know, the, as the last few years, it sounds like at every turn, you've added more and more to your plate and your resume and your list of accomplishments. How are you balancing all? I mean, I hate the word balance, but like, kind of talk us through those priorities. Yeah. So to be clear, I don't train for Ironman anymore while I'm running a startup. That's, I feel like, and, and, and I'm glad you asked me this because I feel like I have this ongoing process of figuring out what my priorities are. So when I retired from Ironman training, I needed something. I just ran a little bit every day and I wasn't feeling good. And that's when I started doing CrossFit about four years ago. And so that's, for me, that's become like something that I can do in one hour that gets, that like hits the level that I need of like intense physical exercise to appease my inner elite athlete. And then I can forget about it for the day. So the people who train for Ironman and have full-time jobs and kids and stuff like that, like, I don't know how they do it. (laughs) I don't know that I have answers or they must not be, you know, the kind of thing that I'm doing for my job. I'm responsible fully for growing a business, right? So I'm the person that's up late at night, still doing emails. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think if you have a job that can be contained into a nine to five environment, then you probably have more time to train morning, noon, and night, if that's what you want to do. But I was lucky enough that when I was an Ironman athlete, I was full-time. So that allows you to kind of like eat, sleep, and train. I I often say I'm a B plus, we say like Ironman or like A plus personalities, you know, and I'm like, hmm. I don't think I am. I'm a B plus. Like I'm a little chill. Like by five o'clock, I need my glass of wine and just go through some documents or something. You know, I'm not out running. How did you get interested in triathlon and in Ironman in the first place? I did my master's degree in Kingston in Ontario. And when I was there, I, I was in the swim team and I volunteered for the triathlon and there were only like, just to like, I was checking in the elite athletes actually. And there were only about 10 women in the whole race. And when, after I finished my job at the check-in, I stood and watched all these athletes coming through from, in T1, we call it, like the first transition from swim to bike. And I'm watching them come through. And every single woman who came through, because they were so few, I just found it the most inspiring thing. Like I was, I must've been tired because I got up early to do the check-in, but I was like standing there by myself, tears in my eyes. Like, this is so cool. Uh, So then the next year I did that triathlon. And then when I went to Scotland to do my PhD, I kind of found myself being a a big fish in a small pond, if you will. So where I never would have had a chance at winning a race in Canada because we were pretty dominant at that time in triathlon. In Scotland, I thought, oh, I could be good at this. And that's how that sort of started. You've touched on this a little bit in pretty much everything you've said so far, which is, you know, just recognizing the lack of representation in Ironman and, you know, recognizing the lack of information about menopause for female athletes. And has this always been something that you've just naturally been prone to noticing? Like, was there a light bulb moment for you where you thought like, no one else is going to take up this charge and I have to be the one? Yeah. I don't know. For whatever reason, I was a kid who always noticed. I always noticed when women weren't at the same, being treated in the same way as men or weren't the same level as men. I have a very vivid memory. My dad was a VP at a local college of 
being at the college with him and noticing that there were a bunch of exterior offices that were filled with executive type people. Like my dad had one of them that had windows. Then there were these interior desks that were just kind of pushed together <laughs> that were the support staff. And they were almost all men on the, in the leadership roles and almost all women in those support staff positions. And I remember thinking there's something wrong here. Like, and feeling like there's something wrong with me. <laughs> like, I want to be in the exterior office. Like, I want to rule the world. <laughs> I mean, it's a local college, but in, in your brain when you're seven, it's the, it's the whole thing. And so I always observe that stuff. I don't really know why. Like, I think there's a lot of people now we have a, a great conversation about gender in our culture, which I love a lot to do with like external expression of gender. And I feel like I had those observations, even about the way that we culturally name gender, um, even through high school and even being a kid that was an athlete. Like I always felt like I recognized when I was being valued and whether that value was a feminine or masculine, like labeled feminine or masculine. Um, so I've always been kind of aware of that. And I had some really great uh, professors at university too, who helped me think critically around that stuff too. While you were talking, it made me think of like, as a young woman, I don't know if maybe men feel this way, but was there a moment? Cause I certainly have a moment and Claire, did you have a moment where like you were aware of your body for the first time? Meaning like as a kind of like female object, maybe objectified, like, cause I remember I have a very vivid memory I started the track team, I think I was in ninth grade, and I was taking, they were taking photos, like team photos. And everyone had to put their track suit on, their track uh, uniform on, and go up and, like, take the picture. So the boys and the girls were all kind of there watching everybody get their photos taken. And I walked up in front of the photographer to get mine taken. And I just remember a guy being like, look at Joy's legs. And I, at that point, like, had never considered any type of body part of mine to be, like, good, bad hot, not hot. Like I had no vocabulary for that, even in ninth grade. And that stuck with me as like, oh, that's desirable. But I didn't even know what that meant either. And that just really, I think kind of as women, like once you kind of become objectified, everything changes for you mentally. I don't know if males feel the same way. But back to your question too, like, I don't want to go off on too many tangents, but I am very aware now as well of gender. And I think that is an important conversation that we have to k keep having. You know, I watched JVN's Getting Curious. I don't know if you've watched that show yet, but he talks so much about like, let's get rid of the binary. And can we have those types of discussions? So it's all like, we need to just keep digging deeper into things that we think we already know everything about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't have I mean, I don't have a moment of remember being objectified, but I do have a couple of moments. You know, one is that I remember suddenly knowing in puberty, feeling instead of understanding that I was going through puberty, like I was getting hips and breasts, that I was fat. Like that's how I internalized puberty. No one talked to me about it. No, one, I never remember. Like maybe we did, maybe we had a class in school where they taught us like your hips were widened or whatever, but I didn't take that in. as like, that's what was happened to me. I just had internalized some kind of like feminine ideal body image ideal and, th and thus felt fat because I was no longer like a lean childlike figure. So I remember that specifically. And also around sex, like I had, I would, I went through puberty really early. Right. And I remember like I had, I, now I'm going like, do you talk about this stuff on your podcast? Totally. So, all, okay. of, all of it. Nine years I of it. Go there. Yeah. Okay. Oh my Perfect. gosh. Yes. 
<laughs> Perfect. Um, so I, yeah, I, I had sex for the first time when I was 14 years old. And afterwards I had this vivid dream that about being like that I was evil and bad. I remember like, I felt, I had a reoccurring dream actually all through my teenage years of like being locked in this closet. And I was somehow this like slut like this. And I had to, and I I didn't know like that I had internalized that. Like I wasn't thinking those things about myself in the daytime. It was just coming out in these dreams. And I had to sort of work through that, like in my twenties. Um, so that's, those are my two kind of things that I, when I realized, oh, I've yeah. internalized a bunch of shit here. You know? Yeah. And it's all this baggage that we carry as women. I don't think we're aware of it, but if we kind of dig deep and this is not to kind of say we have to overanalyze every single thing we've been through, but I think it's just to say that all of these things cumulatively affect us now. And and like even as you're talking about like Feisty Media and creating this media company for women, the thought that I have often is, okay, I'm in my 40s and we've come a long way. Women have come a long way. Women have, you know, more positions of power. But then you look at, and I'm not trying to get political, we're not going to talk about this on like a grander scale, but then you look at like abortion rights. I'm just like, we're not, we are not even... <laughs> What are we right. even doing? You know, so I mean, yeah. I yeah, I have young kids and even like not, you know, on a, a, I guess, sort of less charged topic, like you look at the medical research around pregnancy, like or even, ju- you know, around women's health in general. And it's just not even there. And I'm sure this is what you, you know, you're, you were kind of speaking to like with the menopause stuff, but it's like, you go and try to find, oh, okay, I'm going to go try to get like a quote unquote informed option. There isn't any any information out there to have an informed option. Mm -hmm. And you start asking the questions of like, well, why isn't this out there? And it's like, well, you know, there's, there's no funding for it. Well, why the hell isn't there any funding for it? You know? And I think like, there's always that joke. It's like, you know, if men could get pregnant, what would the world look like? It'd be so different. But I do think that's true that like there is that female bodies and women's bodies are have traditionally not been seen as having that same amount of priority. And I think it's also interesting to then extrapolate that into sport and to see, okay, you know, where, where do the values lie? You know, I know that like even looking at like the Olympics where they, you know, the volleyball teams had to fight to not have to wear these like teeny tiny bikinis for their volleyball matches. And it was like, why was that even a fight? Like who's, who care? You know, like, why should you have to practically wear this like Brazilian bikini in order to be able to compete? And there's so many examples like that, right? Mm-hmm. It does. It goes on and on and on, right? So we work really closely with Dr. Stacy Sims, who I think she was a pioneer. You know, she was sort of the first yeah. one to put up her hand and go, wait a second. If we exclude women from sports science studies, how do we actually know that the outcomes of the studies apply to women? Yeah. And what, and just and a, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> a side note, we've referenced her many times on the podcast, and she is the author of Roar, talks all the time about women are not small men. You can Google her. She's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's amazing. And we, um, so with our Women's Performance Summit that we held for the first time last year at the end of March, and we're doing again this year at the end of March, we felt like, to your point, Claire, like we needed to bring together some experts who do have expertise in the space or who are at least like kind of taking some of the science that is available and then interpreting it for everyday women, right? So that's part of our goal with our whole women's performance vertical, like with the new podcast and with the the summit too, is to go, oh, like somebody has to be looking out for women's well-being in terms of, because we do have an industry, uh, like a diet and fitness industry that actually is going to sell us a bunch of crap. You know, like 
like in when we launched our menopause brand, I started getting all the menopause advertising on Instagram and holy crap, it's terrible. Like people will sell you, there's lots of teas, lots of special teas that are going to get rid of your extra body, you know, extra belly fat. That is like, what is that? You know, so So many teas, so many teas, so many greens. If I see one more fill in the blank greens, I'm not going to say it on this podcast, but if we, I see one more ad for that, I'm going to just puke. Right. Like there's so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so that's sort of a part of our mission is to actually kind of go work with people like Stacey who actually know, right. Who who can actually vet information and then bring it into our summit, into our podcast in a way that's um, helpful for the everyday active woman. Um, So I'm glad you said that Claire, because I think that's a massive gap, right? And it's only going to get better. That's what I, that's what I see. Like for every, for Stacy being the first one, now I'm aware of, I'm aware of at least 10 Stacy's who are now doing PhDs and working in the area of women's sports science. So we're going to start to get more information and we're going to learn more and it's going to shift and change, um, but it's only going to get better. We're going to take a quick break. And after the break, I want to hear more about the summit that you guys are doing. So this week we are sponsored by Ned. You know him? You love them. You can support the podcast by supporting our great sponsors, Ned. They have the de-stress blend. They have the sleep blend. Please support the podcast and a great, great brand. The sleep blend I love because I get hotel sleep, but Claire says it's the night after you get home from a hotel sleep. Uh, Either way you like to sleep, their products are amazing and great quality. USDA certified organic. Uh, If you'd like to give Ned a try, Joy and Claire listeners get 15% off Ned products with code JOY. That's helloned.com forward slash joy to get access. H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash joy to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. So tell us all about your summit well, we have our Women's Performance Summit at the end of March. It's the 25th to 27th, and it's virtual. So we we actually started the virtual summit because of COVID, and our audience said we want it to continue to be virtual. So we like we said, okay, that's I mean that's great, and that means too that people can access it. Um, so the point like of the summit really is to bring vetted expert information to active women who want to know about nutrition, physiology, mental health, and culture. Because um, for us, uh, we don't think you can really separate those things. So when we're talking about nutrition, we can't separate it from the things that we've, like we talked about, like the things that we've all internalized and know about, learned about nutrition. Um, so we want to talk about things in a multidisciplinary way and figure out how to sort of be our very best throughout our lives too. So we think we often, we take things into account for life stages too, with, with women and being active. So from puberty to menopause and beyond, there's like information for all of those segments. So yeah, that's our um, women's, and we launched a podcast too on that same brand, which we're on episode three coming up this week. And what's the name of that one? The women's Women's performance podcast. Women's performance. Okay. Yeah. We'll link everything in our show notes here too. Um, But when you were kind of talking about nutrition and mental health and culture and how all of these play a part and are interwoven, this is not just for elite athletes. This is for every woman. Yeah, exactly. Everyone who identifies as a woman. Yes. Anyone who identifies as a woman, we think performance is for every woman. That's one of our big messages right now because... 
that's part of the, like, I don't want to dumb down that word performance because we sort of mean it. Like we want women to thrive and we want to find information so we can thrive, uh, but we don't want to, I don't really love the word thrive either, to be honest, but, but you know what I mean? It is getting a little like saturated yeah. and like, like, yeah. Yeah. Like wellness, right? Yes. Right. It's very like, I have this like idea of the person, the type, like the same type of person who uses the word like juicy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or like take care Self-care, take care of yourself. Yeah. Oh, I saw this great tweet just to bring this up. <laughs> that was like, I'm tired of self-care. Everyone else can take care of me now. <laughs> I, like, I want that. <laughs> That's awesome. I definitely, like, I see Thrive with the Greens ad, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yes, totally. So I apologize if I use the word Thrive, looking for better language, but there we go. No, you know, we all have our words that we're over. We can, I have yeah. plenty of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I don't remember what I was saying now, so. So <laughs> talking about how performance for doesn't, isn't just for like, it's for all different stages, all different types of women, all different goals. And I think that's something that we have really learned for ourselves. You know, we also both have a long background in CrossFit. And even though it's not something that we're either of us is actively doing right now, it's something that has recently been a part of our lives and was a part of our lives for a long time. And there wasn't any like great falling out. It just is something that isn't fitting into either of our lifestyles in this particular season. Mm-hmm. And I think that through that process though, it really redefined definitely for me what the definition of a quote unquote athlete was and, you know, broadened that scope for me to understand that like, you don't have to have passed the presidential fitness test in, you know, fifth grade. And like, that wasn't the only on-ramp to athleticism Mm -hmm. and which is kind of honestly, like how I had felt in my early adulthood where I was like, well, I wasn't athletic as a kid you know, I couldn't do the like toe touch. So that means like, I don't get like, that's it. I, I missed. Yeah. I really like missed the on-ramp for athleticism. I cannot be an athlete. That's not who I am realizing into my adulthood that like, Oh, the term athlete really is a lot broader than I ever thought. And I think to your point, like being concerned with performance doesn't just mean like, oh, you're going to the sports center, getting your VO2 max tested. Like Mm -hmm. that's what I imagine, right? Especially having grown up in Boulder is like, Mm -hmm. when you think performance, you do think these Ironman stereotypes who are, have the drool cup strapped to their chin while they are on the VO2 max machine. And if you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, I apologize. (laughs) This is a very esoteric example that might not apply to you if you've not grown up in a world where like triathletes pass you on the running trail. But it is like, I love that you are bringing that into the conversation that like performance isn't just for elite or ultra endurance or ultra focus, like it can apply so broadly. Yeah. A lot of the information that we get through this performance focus applies to everyone. So if you think about like some of Stacy's stuff around um, applying your hormones, using your hormones as a guide to how you train, like that would affect anyone, even if they're someone who does hiking or someone who's training for their first 5k, right? Knowing that you might have an off day at the end of your luteal phase, for example, in your right before your period, super helpful because when you're supposed to be, if you think you're going to feel good during your easy jog and you don't, then you know why, right? And we don't blame ourselves. So from things like that to the things, the types of things that we talked about earlier, like 
the, those internalized notions that we all have around diet and fitness and how many people start those types of programs, getting active again programs as a way to lose weight, quote unquote, whereas we need to totally reframe that and, and talk about it as feeling good or longevity or however, whatever is this positive for us. I feel like the idea too of like training around your hormones or not even training around them, but just being aware of them. So many of us, you know, who are in our thirties, forties, fifties, like, I feel like anyone who really, I mean, I, I don't know if women in their twenties are still experiencing this of just like being put on birth control, just like the moment that you start your period to like help regulate, you know, like as just sort of the blanket diag or prescription that almost everyone, you know, was on for a long time. I think only recently has the discourse come up of like, Hey, maybe not all of us need to be taking synthetic hormones every day. But what that has done to an entire generation of women to separate us from our cycles and to make us feel like the goal of your cycle is to not notice it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think like that's definitely the message that I got as I was, you know, a teenager and in my, in, in college that like the goal of your cycle is to just manage the crap out of it until it does not impact your life at all. Even to the point where like, you don't even have to have a period if you don't want to just like, don't take your sugar pills, just roll right into the next pack of pills. Yeah. And I am curious to see in the coming years, like, you know, these days we scoff at like the low fat sugar-free yogurt, like, of course, you know, that's not good for you. We, you know, oh, ha ha. We all know that now, but 15 years ago, nobody knew that. I wonder if that will be the next conversation, like the next turner on the horn of like, wow, I can't believe we ever thought that just like erasing your hormone fluctuations was the goal. Yeah. It's, you know, things, everything evolves and changes, right? So like birth control as a thing created an extreme amount of sexual freedom for women. So I'm very grateful that that all happened. Great, right? great call out. That is a good point. Yeah. Very great this, point. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm someone who like, I had depression caused by the birth control pill that I didn't know. And it took me years to figure out that actually it was the synthetic hormones that I was taking that were causing my, that were causing my depression. That's crazy. Right. So now I just like, I will stay away from all synthetic hormones. Um, but the, and the other thing of what you were saying there, Claire, is that we often, we always talked about periods as, and our hormone cycles in a negative way. Like I never heard it talked about in a positive way at all until we started to act myself. And I heard other people started to actively change our language around that. Then I think that's why in sport too, with coaches and stuff, it's like, oh, you'll just have a couple off days like that. It was all bad. It wasn't like, Hey, how can we figure out how to perform well or how to get the best out of our bodies or do our training well on every single day? How, how do we figure that out? It wasn't that it was like, I'll just admit that it's going to be crappy for a little while and, and you'll come back around, you know? Right. Like what words do we associate with our cycle? Like tired, bloated, crabby, cranky, hungry, like, you know, and like, let's not even have an entire podcast series about how the word hungry as you know, is negative, but like, you're exactly right. Like never in my life really has someone sat me down and been like, Hey, these, like, how do you, how can you see these as indicators of like a way that you could be prioritizing different moments versus just like, no, your training is your training. And if you happen to be tired and cranky and bloated and hungry that day, then you just have to like deal with it. Yeah. And even mentally, I kind of reframed um, my, my cycle because I'm like, I'm basically, I'm kind of an optimist and a positive thinker. And I'm like, let's go do it. Let's change the world, you know? And so when I was in particular a couple of times in my life, but one of them was when I was deciding to leave my marriage and I would come, I'd be like, 
fine, fine, fine. Most of the month. But like around that time, right before my period, I, that's when I'd really realized like there was a moment, like I'm actually not happy on in some ways in my life. And it caused me to be more reflective. So I was kind of, instead of being kind of, oh, I'm grumpy and this is crappy. It's like, actually, I'm very grateful for this process because otherwise I might live in that optimism world (laughs) too much and realize years down the road that I'm actually unhappy or fall off a cliff of some kind instead of having that monthly reminder that's like, okay, no, wait, like, let's take a minute to reflect and make sure that everything's lined up in my life. So I, that was just one way that I kind of reframed that in terms of not seeing it as negative. This is something that I want and I hope eventually gets to be kind of like the baseline for all women that of what we see in the media. That's very wishful thinking, but you know, it's still very saturated with diet culture and what sells and what sells is people that are wearing certain things that maybe show abs and everybody wants abs. Like that's still pretty pervasive. I really hope that it continues to shift to where that is not as loud. I think it will always be there. There will always be an audience for that. It's just so funny how things have changed. Like side note, I was watching an episode of The Real Housewives of Orange County last week from like 2008. And the language they use about their bodies, like, I don't see that really on reality. And I watch a lot of trash TV, admittedly, sadly. I don't hear a lot of that like language about people about women talking about their bodies. And I was like, wow, at least they've come somewhat far. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, they were talking horribly or talking about like how their diet in the summer is they don't eat. And I'm like, Oh, my God, that's like, ridiculous. Like, this is how I get my figure. I just don't eat in the summer. And I'm just like, horrible messaging. And so I think there will always be an audience, there will always be people who listen to that crap. But I think like, my hope is that it continues to be more and more of the discussion around education, and people learning more about their bodies, and digging deeper and asking more questions and being critical thinkers about like, why is it this way? Mm -hmm. Instead of just being fed the crap that comes across our feeds of drink this tea and you'll have a whatever size waist, you know, I think like, that's the thing that we just need to keep pushing up against, because eventually we'll move the needle, I hope. Yeah, and I think there is a groundswell for that. And I also think for that change. And I also think that there's, um, I think social media, while there are several downsides to social media, I think it, the upside is that it's more democratic and who gets to talk. And if you are following certain, if you're following certain people, right, you will get certain types of things on your feed. So gone are the days of like somebody else, some man in an executive office gets to decide what you're watching on your media with your media right? Like you're talking about the Real Housewives, right? That's like some of that pop culture stuff is amazing, but I can create for curate for myself an Instagram feed that only has positive, mostly, except for when I'm being advertised to by menopause tees. Um, <laughs> it's like mostly positive, positive um, messages about women and about our bodies too. So I'm like grateful for that part of what social media can be. And I think we're at least at a place where like, I mean, but we're far, far from those messages going away. But the huge difference to me is like, I notice them now when I hear them, I don't just take them as the norm. Joy, to your point, you you listen to something from, or you rewatch something from 15 years ago 
and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and it really stands out. Whereas when you first saw it 15 years ago, you probably just went in one ear and out the other as like, oh yeah, well, totally. You know, it was totally normal the back then, that type of, yeah, that type of talk. Yep. Right. Or like I watched the most recent se- or the first episode of the most recent season of Cheer. And then one of them, one of the girls was like, well, yeah, we're taking, we're doing this like three day watermelon cleanse. Freaking watermelon like, cleanse. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Oh no. But like even probably maybe not five years ago, but 10 years ago, I'd have been like, ooh, a watermelon cleanse. I'm going to Google that. <laughs> Googling it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Like Regina George, the cranberry yeah, juice diet. At least three pounds. <laughs> and I, I am grateful that you are, you know, creating all these platforms that have those conversations that I think that the more it can be normalized of like, you know, it even still feels sometimes taboo just to talk about hormones and talk about periods and talk about psych. Like if you can't even talk about it, how are you going to be able to advocate for yourself when it comes to those topics and when it comes to getting your needs met? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think we, yeah, I think that that normalizing is really important. Right. And then, and that's part of like, that's part of our mission of Vice to Media. So like, let's just talk about all the things I talk about all kinds of stuff on the other podcast I'm on too. <laughs> and people like whatever, like if you can't, I think getting comfortable with your own story um, is also like really important and just telling like other women telling their stories um, and listening to our bodies too. That's always the first piece of advice that I give when pe- like people say, oh, I don't understand like this hormone thing. I can't, I don't want to track. I don't want to pay attention to my cycle. I don't want it. It's like, well, just actually just listen to your instincts, like forget what, whatever you learned, like forget about watermelon cleanses or forget about the training cycle of like three days hard, one day easy or whatever your sport taught and just listen to your instincts. And that takes a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. I was about to say like, so to take a step back from that, if you are working with someone who has pretty much been told like tune out your body at all and just like stick to the program, what advice Mm -hmm. do you give to people who don't even know where to start with listening to their bodies? Yeah, that's a great, I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning and um, there's a time for everything, right? Cause there is, I give that advice and like, just get up in the morning and do the warm up. <laughs> Damn it. Like when I yeah. was coaching, you know, and I think that that's important because we can easily like get inside our heads. And so I think that's a very individual thing for, for individual people. So like, I go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it reminds me of like some of the intuitive eating discussions that we've had before we talk a lot about like people don't even know to they don't know hunger and they don't know full Mm. so it just takes time for you to start throwing out rules I think that's what you said you know just throw out all the rules first Mm -hmm. and then start with this clean slate and don't think about rules just kind of tune into your body how's it feel how's it feel today and with practice every single day I think you'll get to know what that means It's like, you know, last year I had a really, really, really high stress year. It wasn't until I took away all the stuff that was causing me stress that I realized what stress felt like. (laughs) Because I was so stressed, I didn't even know I was stressed. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you kind of have to take what you can. And obviously, we're not all in a position to take away the stuff that's causing us stress. But like in terms of working out or fueling ourselves, you really have to take away all the rules first or all the crap that you've been fed. Yeah. And I, I think I'll, I'll go back to that, just doing the warm up thing. I think that would be my practical advice. Sometimes I live in la la land and I start talking about big, big vision things, but really like that practical thing of, you know, if you're feeling unmotivated, you know, to, to go and do your workout, or if you're not sure whether to to continue, like do the warm up and see how you feel. 
because at least then you got through the whole process of like getting out of bed or putting your shoes on getting out the door, all of those things that like those things, if you can't right, do like, them, you're, it's a motivation problem. Right. That's it's great. like rule out inertia. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like get that moment. Yeah. Get that momentum going. <laughs> and then if you still feel crappy, there might be something wrong. And then, then you can look into it from there. Yeah, that's great. I mean, there's been days where, and I've scaled back my workouts over the past year just for other reasons, but I will start moving and I'll be like, what do I feel like doing today? I'll wake up in the morning. I, d- I don't make a training plan. <laughs> I wake up every morning, I go, what do I feel like doing today? Do I feel like going for a walk? Do I feel like maybe lifting something? So I mean, it's, it's just that to me is helps me tune into what I'm feeling and where my body's at versus like, you got to push through your workout, you got to like hit it hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then but then like, we've also talked about that if I woke up every morning, and was like, what do I feel like today? my body would be like, you feel like staying in bed? Yeah. And I, I'm a morning person. So like I yeah. get like I, I wake up early and work out first thing because that's like so, my, my body clock. But you get what I'm right. saying. But I'm but I'm more of the thing of like, OK, overcome the inertia and then see how you're feeling, because like the inertia for me is a little bit heavier than it is for Joy. <laughs> that's Yeah, it's so true. Like I was relating to what you're saying, Joy, like there if you're a lifelong athlete and you're like you're used to just doing that exercise every day, like I can't imagine not exercising. But I I also recognize that that's not the same for not everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that, that, you know, that there are other, other things needed sometimes to get, to get going. You guys obviously did not fail the presidential fitness test. Oh, I sure did. I was not. Yeah, I was. (laughs) We we had, is this a thing in in Canada? Did you grow up in Canada? It did. Yeah. Well, partially, but yeah. Um, Is this a thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? So I, we have Canada fitness. I'm sure I don't, and and I'm sure it's similar. And I actually have a funny story. We, I, this is my little, my little feminist when I was, I was in about fourth grade and we started the Canada fitness thing started and we, the boys, like there was like gold, silver, bronze, and there was like platinum. There was like one above gold. I think it was platinum that you could get, but the boys did different things in the girls. So like, let's say the, the boys did 30 sit-ups and the girls did 20. But I, I, at, until that point had understood myself to be like one of the more physically capable people in the class. And was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like literally my brain was like, why does like this guy over here who I beat every time in gym class do a different thing than me? Like, how does that? Mm-hmm. And so my friend and I started we basically were like, we're going to do the boys. Like we're, we've got the boys highest level in this thing, but we stood our ground on that. <laughs> That's like me when I started CrossFit, I was like, why are the, why can't I just do the That's same awesome. thing as what the males are doing? Mm-hmm. And I hated that there were like different, I mean, obviously I'm not going to be lifting 200 pounds over my head, but you know, that always pissed me off too. That's really funny that you're like, it's those little things that, yeah, that yeah. pissed me off when I said across fit too, like the size of the bar, like the bar. Yeah. Bars. Every, yeah. Like, that's to do with hand size, not gender. Like, yes. Like, you know, it's yes. like, can we make it about, can we make the lifting like the RX weights about, about like body weight instead of making it about gender? Right. Like, yeah. And it's all very binary. Like or now my- I just have binary on my mind because of JVN. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, everything is binary. <laughs> I just need my forever campaign of, scaling wall balls based on height. Right. <laughs> yes. 
right? Like <laughs> Claire's so mad right this, now. I have a real big the hill. You will die on. Yeah, I will die on this hill. That if I am five three, I should not be throwing the freaking wall ball to the same target as someone who's five ten. I don't care. And there's other ones that I struggle with too. Like the, in the cardio, like we're often doing like twenty five or thirty percent less calories say on than the men. Whereas I know from being an endurance sport for so long that the difference is actually around 10% um, between men and women on that, if we are going to keep it gendered. But then on the flip side, when I watch it, I'm like, actually though, culturally, we have not as many women who've been encouraged to do sports. So in like your everyday CrossFit gym, like the one that I go to, it's actually feels more inclusive and more women feel like they're winning when that bar is a little bit lower. Like it's actually, right. so I, I'm kind of torn about stuff like that because my you know, my feminist brain is like, no, I can do it. I'm doing the boys thing. But I realized that like, okay, culturally, like, yeah, yeah. There's women here who really appreciate that. It's like that they can actually hit the mark on on some of those things. Okay. I know to win another day. (laughs) I know we're almost out of time, but there is one more thing that I, that has, I keep sort of thinking about that. I want to, I don't want to end this conversation before we talk about it, which is, and this is a very big topic and I'm sorry for doing this. <laughs> it is maintaining and even peaking in performance later in life. I mm. feel like this is coming up more and more, you know, both with men and women, like, you know, Kelly Slater, who just um, won pipe at the week before his 50th birthday last week. Like I, you know, recently had something come across my Facebook of um, a woman in like a trail runner in Scotland who, you know, set like a, I don't know what they're called in Scotland, like, you know, basically an ultra marathon around all the hilly areas. And she's in her fifties. Like it feels to me. And I mean, Kelly Slater is now there. We don't need to talk about him, but it feels to me like, particularly when it comes to females, there is more and more of this sense that like, as you get older, you like the peak of performance might be later in life than we ever imagined. Is this something that that has come up, you know, in your communities yet? And just sort of how, tell me more. I just, I want to know more about this. Yeah. So I have a couple of friends who podium at Ironman in their, in when they're 50, right. Women, especially women. Um, And if you, I, you know, I've, since I was in my twenties, I've observed this in endurance communities that like, especially with cycling stuff like that, like people maintain their strength for a really long time, like into their forties and fifties and that it doesn't just go away. Um, and if you're trained for a lifetime in that, in that, like in whatever the sport doesn't decrease that much, you just have to shift your training. Um, so one thing I know, like we have, we do have more information now. So like we have more information knowing that like women actually need more protein in, in their thirties and then even more after 50. Um, and we know that like lifting heavy, like lifting heavy shit, it, it really does help maintain muscle mass, keep our fast twitch moving and can like maintain that performance a lot longer. And I think like, that's not something like I would have been a better athlete in my twenties if I'd known that, let alone now, like I'm stronger than I've ever been just doing like a little bit of CrossFit every day. And I was a professional athlete, like it's crazy. So I think like we have like better information now to keep athletes going. And I think we also realize that like when you're doing a sport, if you don't stop, like you can keep going and you can maintain that high level of performance. There is not this just like inevitable decline to the grave. Like I just, I feel like there, you know, you watch like the Olympics. Like I had my first summer Olympic, like, and I know the winter Olympics are happening right now. I don't have cable. I have not been watching it, but particularly with the summer Olympics last year, it was the first time where I watched them and thought these people are children, (laughs) but yet we see that right. 
by and large as a global community as like the peak of performance. And so no wonder we don't imagine like, oh, I could still be a high-performing athlete into my forties and fifties and maybe even sixties and beyond. And so I just have been so like inspired the more that I see these high performance and, you know, some of them have been lifelong athletes, but some of them are like, Hey, I didn't start X, Y, Z until I was in my thirties or my forties. And now here I am having podiumed or having set a world record or having, you know, accomplished this huge goal that only 10 other people in the world have ever done. Yeah. I find that so interesting. And I also find it, I, it seems to me like it, it is becoming more and more prevalent, particularly with women. And then I also just have to wonder, like, are there social factors at play? Like, you know, where women do have a larger period kind of in the middle of their adulthood where they have to be more family focused than men have had to be. And so they don't have the same opportunities in their twenties and thirties to like really focus on performance. I don't know. I, but I just, um, yeah, it was something that I wanted to bring up because I had a feeling that you probably had some insights on that as well. Yeah. I think you're right about all those things. And having said that, you know, people maintain strength as they age, if they keep going, I think there's also for elite athletes, there's sometimes it's probably mental, like a shorter period of time where you can actually focus on performance as the main, your main focus for life. And that can come later too, for some people. So I think like a lot of, like when we see the young athletes at the Olympics, right? Like they're probably not, the reason they're not at the Olympics still in their forties might be more to do with the fact that after they focus on that for 12 years, they're kind of over it and ready to do something else. Cause that is an intense lifestyle. I said 12 years, that's four Olympic cycles. That's a, that's a, a lot more than most Olympians actually do and can handle mentally. Right. Like one of the best, uh, Ironman coaches in our sport, like says he straight up says, I'm giving you three years. Like he, he plans with his athletes and trains them to perform at the highest level in the world for only three years. Um, and a lot of people continue after the three years, but that's the level of like, he just says dedication, focus, et cetera. So if you went to him, you were 40 years old, he would still take you in and, turn you into one of the best in the world, likely in your forties. Like I, I won my first Ironman when I was 38, you know, like it, it was, it came late for me too. How about 44? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well, I, I'm 45 and I'm still like, like I said, like I'm, I'm stronger than I was when I used to push a bike around a hundred, 112 mile course. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. I just cannot wrap my head around an Ironman. I go for a run within like 15 minutes. I'm like, why am I out here? I could be doing something else. (laughs) I understand that. Like before I did Ironman, I used to stare. I had run a marathon before and I swam and I used to sit in my room and stare at my bike and go be like 112 miles. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. When you think about it that way. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. This has been really a great conversation. We'd love to have you back and and kind of just keep up with Feisty Media just because it's amazing what you're doing. So can you tell everybody where you are on the socials? Sure. So our website's livefeisty.com. And on the socials, you can find us at feisty underscore media. Um, for me personally, it's at sarah.gross on Instagram. And our women's performance brand, if you want to check that out, is womensperformance.com. Is there also information there where people can sign up for the summit that's coming up in March? Yes. And you can see all of the keynotes that we just got sorted out, which I'm super excited about. Yay. (laughs) Awesome. And everybody, you know where to find us. We are at joyandclaire underscore on Instagram. You can find us at joyandclaire.com. Send us an email. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. 
Don't forget to check out our awesome sponsor, Ned. Use this con code JOY. Check out their de-stress blend. It's actually really high in CBG, which is like the new hot cannabinoid. So I just have always wanted to say new hot cannabinoid. It's not a regular cannabinoid. It's It's like a cool cool cannabinoid. Cannabinoid is a fun word to say. It really is. Uh, I thought I was saying it wrong. Cannabinoid? Cannabinoid. Cannabinoid. Yeah. So go check out hellonet.com, discount code joy, and support the sponsors that support our podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.